short, uh, one of the minor prophets. This is a continuation of our series of the uh, gospel through the minor prophets. Uh, I personally had read Nahum a couple of times, like probably most people have when they've read through the Bible and things like that, and I'm sure somewhere along the way I've probably heard a sermon or uh, a Sunday school on it, but uh, I'd never really studied it uh, like I did this week in preparation for the class. And I actually found it really interesting, and uh, it's always as it is with God's Word, no matter where you dig in, it's always interesting as you dig in to find out how pertinent something that happened, you know, almost uh, 2,500, you know, 2,600 years ago is still, uh, you know, so pertinent in our life today. So I hope that each of you, as we go through it today, uh, will find that. Um, I want to jump ahead just for a second here and kind of show you where we're going And this is the same outline that Ross has been using and a couple other folks that have been guest teachers have been using, uh, you know, for us. So we're just going to go through who he was, when was he active, you know, why did he write, what's the style, what's his message, and then the so what. So the the majority of our time is going to be on the so what, right? So so, so why do we care, basically, would be another way of saying this. And um, some of the resources that I found, and then, uh, you know, Ross had shared some with me as well, there's a really good YouTube uh, that kind of describes the book. And as I go into the details, uh, we're going to talk about the whole book, but as I go into the details, a lot of what we'll talk about is going to be in chapter one because that talks about the character of God. Uh, the other two chapters uh, talk about you know, the sins and everything that Nineveh did, and then uh, the, that's the second chapter. And then the third chapter is uh, more about the destruction of Nineveh. And that's interesting, and we'll talk about that a little bit, but uh, most of what uh, we would think about uh, as being applicable to our lives today is going to be about God's character in, uh, in chapter 1. So in order to just to make sure that I don't skip anything, there's a five-minute YouTube that I want us to watch as we get started here. They'll just give a really good overview of where we're going to go. So let me share that with you, and uh, give me just a minute to pop out of this. And pop over to the uh, YouTube here. Let's see here. And why do I not see? There it is. The Book of the Prophet Nahum. This short prophetic book is a collection of poems announcing the downfall of one of Israel's worst oppressors, the ancient empire of Assyria, and its capital city, Nineveh. The Assyrians arose as one of the world's first great empires, and their expansion into Israel resulted in the total destruction and exile of the northern kingdom and its tribes. The Assyrian armies were violent and destructive on a scale that the world had never seen before, and so Israel and its neighbors were awaiting the downfall of Assyria, which eventually came in the year 612 BC. The Babylonians rose up and began a rebellion that overtook Nineveh and brought down the Assyrian Empire. And so chapter 2 depicts the fall of Nineveh in vivid poetry, and chapter 3 then explores the downfall of the empire as a whole. But this book isn't just an angry tirade against Israel's enemies. The introductory chapter shows us that there is way, way more going on here. The book opens with an incomplete alphabet poem that begins by describing a powerful appearance of God's glory. It's very similar to how the previous book, Micah, began and how the next book, Habakkuk, is going to conclude. 
And it's God, the all-powerful creator, coming to confront the nations and bring his justice on their evil. And the poem opens by quoting from the famous line of God's self-description after the golden calf incident in the book of Exodus chapter 34. The Lord is slow to anger. He's great in power. He won't leave evil unpunished. And so the rest of the poem goes back and forth, contrasting the fate of the arrogant, violent nations with the fate of God's faithful remnant. When God brings down all the arrogant empires, he will provide refuge for those who humble themselves before him. Now, here's what's really interesting, is that you thought this book was only about Assyria, but Nahum actually nowhere mentions Nineveh or Assyria in chapter 1. And when he describes the downfall of the bad guys, he uses Isaiah's language about the fall of Babylon, which happened much later in history. And not only that, Nahum also describes the downfall of the bad guys as good news for the remnant of God's people. It's a direct allusion to Isaiah's good news about the downfall of Babylon. And so all these little details from chapter 1, they come together to make a key point. For Nahum, the fall of Nineveh is being presented as an example, as an image of how God is at work in history in every age, how he won't allow the arrogant or violent empires of our world to endure forever. And so the message of Nahum is actually very similar to that of Daniel. Assyria stands in a long line of violent empires throughout history. And Nineveh's fate is a memorial to God's commitment to bring down the violent and the arrogant in every age. With this perspective from the opening chapter, the book then returns to its focus on Assyria. And so chapter 2 describes the Battle of Nineveh and the overthrow of the city in progressive stages. So first we see the front line of Babylonian soldiers, and then we read about the charge of the chariots, and then the chaos on the city walls as the city is breached, then the slaughter of Nineveh's people, then the plundering of the city. Chapter 3 goes on to describe the results of the city's downfall for the empire as a whole. So Nahum begins by announcing a woe upon the city whose kings built it with the blood of the innocent. It's an image of how injustice was built into the very system that made Assyria so successful. But their violence has sown the seeds of their own destruction, and so Assyria will fall before Babylon. The book concludes with a taunt against the fallen king of Assyria. He's stricken with a fatal wound, and from among all the nations that he once oppressed, no one comes to help him. Rather, they sing and celebrate his destruction. And that's how the book ends. Now, this is a gloomy book, but it's important to see how Nahum's message addresses the tragic and perpetual cycles of human violence and oppression in every age. Human history is filled with tribes and nations elevating themselves and using violence to take what they want, resulting in the death of the innocent. And the book of Nahum uses Assyria and Babylon as examples to tell us that God is grieved and that he cares about the death of the innocent and that his goodness and his justice compel him to orchestrate the downfall of oppressive nations. And God's judgment on evil is good news, unless, of course, you happen to be Assyria. Which brings us all the way back to the conclusion of that opening poem in chapter 1, which tells us that the Lord is good and a refuge in the day of distress. He cares for those who take refuge in him. And so the little book of Nahum invites every reader to humble themselves before God's justice and to trust that in his time he will bring down the oppressors of every time and place. And that's what the book of Nahum is all about.
was Empire I? of Assyria, and its oh. capital city, Nineveh. The Assyrians arose as one of the world's first great empires, and their expansion into Israel resulted in the total destruction and Oh, yeah, yeah, just get, go ahead and kill that, yeah. Yeah, we'll go back to the presentation. Okay, great. Okay, so, um, so that, that was just kind of a good overview of the book. Uh, not everything in there was, uh, you know, theologically exactly right, but it's like anything else. Um, you know, it's, it's directionally right, and it had really had all, a lot of the details in it. So anyway, so what I want to do now is dig into Nahum uh, himself, and then a little bit more about his message, and then go into the, uh, the so what that we talked about. So first off is, uh, is who is he? So he's a prophet. Uh, we don't know much about him, unlike some of the other prophets where we have quite a bit about, uh, you know, where he lived and what he did and, you know, how he was married or wasn't married and all those kind of things as some of these other lessons we've learned. Uh, Nahum is somebody that we know lived between uh, 16, I'm sorry, 16, 663 B.C., uh, which is the fall of Thebes, and 612 B.C., which is the fall of uh, Nineveh. So we know that he lives somewhere in that time frame, okay? We also know that he was a contemporary of uh, the young Jeremiah, so when Jeremiah was younger, and we believe that he served uh, during the reign of Josiah, okay? Now, if you look on the map here with me, and let me, um, let me use my pointer here, uh, Nineveh is over here in Assyria. Uh, you see it's on the Tigris River, so, you know, basically the Middle East as we know today. And then you can see you've got uh, Assyria had conquered the northern tribe of Israel, and then Judah was still here. That's kind of the red blob. And I, I, I read a bunch of different things, but the, uh, the Elkosh, which is where the Bible says that uh, Nahum was from, they believe was on the southern side of Judah, but there's no historical uh, reference of that town. So this is just an absolute guess. Uh, and then if you go down here, the other city that's mentioned in the book is Thebes, and the Assyrians, you know, conquered uh, Thebes, you know, after they kind of, you know, worked their way down this way. So you can see it's on the Nile River uh, down in uh, Egypt. So that's kind of how we know uh, where Nahum was and also uh, where uh, his, um, his time frame is in between those two things, because both those are mentioned in the, in the book. Now, the other thing is uh, Nahum, you can see that his, his name is, is Comforter or the Lord Comforts. There's a couple different ways that I read that that was said, but basically it's a Comforter. It's interesting, if you read this book in its whole, uh, what you find is it's not very comforting. Um, you know, there are parts in it, obviously, that are comforting uh, for God's people because it does talk about that uh, the Lord is our stronghold and we can take refuge in him and things like that. So there is that comfort there. Uh, but if you were uh, Nineveh receiving this, then it would be very uncomfortable because it's talking about uh, your destruction in a very graphic, very graphic way. And in fact, um, the, the book is written in such a way that uh, it mirrors a lot of the prophets that you see in Isaiah where it's poetic and it's uh, you know, very vivid uh, in its imagery. So um, when was he active? We talked a little bit about the times. Um, the interesting thing is that um, uh, Nineveh, you might remember from the book of Jonah. And um, in uh, the book of Jonah, uh, remember, you know, he fleed to the west 
instead of going to the east that God has commanded, he got swallowed up by the well, then got spit out, and then finally went to Nineveh. And what did Nineveh do during the times of Jonah? Do you remember? They repented, right? That's roughly 100 years before this. So an interesting kind of fact, kind of putting all this in, in you know, God's history, or like I like to say, his story. But uh, anyway, a, an interesting way of looking at this is that uh, you know that a lot of the minor prophets were speaking about the destruction of Israel, the, the is, Israelites, right? And if you think about it, uh, Jonah went over and Nineveh repented, and they had kind of a golden era. Uh, they did not use that well. They, they were wicked people, and so they repented, but then they went back to their wicked ways. But they expanded. God used them to basically you know, crush the northern kingdom of Israel uh, and then you've got now, you know, roughly 100 years later, um, you know, God is now uh, going to condemn them and, you know, basically provide his justice on them for what they did to the northern kingdom. So it's kind of an interesting, you know, way of just kind of looking how, you know, all the history weaves together, which is, you know, one, I think, super cool thing about the Bible and, and the, way that, uh, the way that, you know, God has woven history together. Now, um, why did he write? Uh, so, you know, the first one is, is that, you know, he got a vision from God. He's a prophet, so he kind of had to write. <laughs> so I, I had to put that in there because that's, that's kind of a, a no-brainer. Uh, but then uh, there's really two pieces of, of, his, of his message. Uh, one is that uh, a couple of the commentators that I read talked about the fact that, uh, that maybe this was actually given uh, to the people of Nineveh uh, just like Jonah had given uh, the prophecy. You've got to suspect that there maybe were some, still some people around uh, that remembered you know, what happened during the time of Jonah, and uh, this was an opportunity uh, for um, uh, them to hear uh, God's um, word again. Uh, there were a couple of uh, places that I read where they actually thought that Elkosh, where uh, Nahum was from, might actually have been in uh, uh, north, uh, maybe uh, four or five days walk north of Nineveh, which is completely opposite from <laughs> being south of Judah. So that's why they, people don't know where it is, but there are some ancient names where they're spelled similar, and that's why people you know, thought that. Um, I was persuaded that maybe southern Judah somewhere made more sense. But, so there's this whole thing about the oracle against Nineveh and maybe trying to scare the people straight again. It obviously didn't work this time. Um, and uh, then there's the, the second part, which, there's, which we're going to talk about as well, which talks about the fact that uh, there's a, an encouragement to the Israelites that had been taken into bondage by Assyria, and there's also encouragement for, uh, I guess it would be the you know, Judeans the, you know, in Judah that were still there, right? So they, so they actually have some encouragement that, hey, these people beat up on us, and you know, God's going to beat up on them, I mean, for lack of a... You know, simpler way of saying it. So that's the way I said, you know, kind of why did he write? Uh, and then let's talk next a little bit about the, uh, the style of the book. And let me flip one ahead here. So the style of the book is, it's three chapters, and the style of the book is a, uh, a judgment oracle, okay? And um, we're going to read most of, of chapter one here in a moment if you want to get your Bibles ready. But um, you'll see that that the way that it's, it's poetic. And you noticed in the YouTube, uh, there was some disagreement among scholars, but in the YouTube it talks about the um, 
chapter one being an incomplete alphabetic acrostic. I don't know if you picked up on that. Some of you might have picked up, probably most of you like I did the first time I listened to it. I didn't. Um, and, and that obviously is a poetic style. I, I looked at another commentator who had like written out everything, and I think that's a little bit of a stretch, but uh, it's definitely poetic style, and you'll see that come out. And then basically it's broken into three pieces. And, and this is that I've got here is a little different from what was in the YouTube, but it's pretty close. Um, first is uh, Nineveh's judge. So this is talking about Lord our God, okay? So who is Nineveh's judge? And it's going to talk about his, his character, and it's going to talk about you know, different things in that. Uh, then uh, there's uh, Nineveh's judgment. So it's the judgment against them, and then it's their total destruction. And it talks a lot. You saw on the YouTube they did a really good job of talking about, and, and this is in Chapter 3, where it talks about, you know, first came the foot soldiers, then the chariots, then the walls were breached, and all that kind of stuff. It was kind of interesting. Um, one of the commentators just talking about, again, the way that God works, and, and you know, you, you remember the story of Joshua and, uh, you know, Jericho, and it's kind of interesting. There's some parallels here with one of the commentators I read about uh, the fall of uh, Nineveh, where Nineveh is right on the Tigris River, and they believe that maybe the folks attacked during a time of high flood, and so when they breached the walls, the flood actually kind of washed away the city, uh, which is kind of an interesting um, discussion that was, that was going on by one of the commentators. And that, they had some historical evidence and, and some other reasons why they thought that, but I thought it was kind of interesting, so, uh, so worth mentioning. Um, the, uh, the next one is, let's start to dig in a little bit as to uh, what's the actual message. Okay, so um, the message itself is, um, is basically a warning to Nineveh, which we talked about, and then, and then hope to uh, Judah, and ho just hope to the Israelites in general. And in verse uh, 3 of chapter 1, and, and if I don't have a book of the Bible, see like I've got you know, 1, 3 there, uh, that just means it's in Nahum. There's other places that we'll use some scriptures here in a little bit where, you know, I've got like Luke or, you know, somebody else, you know, Romans, and, and I've, got, I've got the name of the book there. But if you don't see the name of the book, it just assumes that we're in, in Nahum. But uh, it talks about, uh, you know, God being slow to anger. And we're going to look at that in more detail in a minute, but we also see that uh, with Jonah, and we also see that a number of other places in the Bible. You go back and see it in Exodus uh, when uh, Moses is, is receiving the Ten Commandments. But it also says that he does not leave the guilty unpunished, right? That God is a just God, and he can't let um, people that are openly against him, openly against his people, go unpunished. But as we're going to talk about, you know, God's timing and our timing aren't already always the same, right? Almost all of us in here... Um, and I'm, you know, so of course, myself included, uh, you know, we look for, you know, instant, you know, justice, right? We see something happen, and it just instantly, you know, it has to be made right, or, you know, somebody has to pay for it, or something like that, and we rarely see that, not, not that it doesn't happen with God, and, and uh, one of the commentators I was reading was talking about uh, um, Ananias and Sophia, when basically, you know, they cheated God, and they got struck dead immediately, so every now and then, you see instant justice with God, but uh, it's not something that's, that's the common way that God does it. 
So anyway, so we're going to talk about that. And um, then, uh, obviously, uh, the point, the second, in second part of that second point is, you know, God's righteousness is that his kingdom is going to prevail. And then, um, then the last point there is just about the overall sovereignty of God. And we're going to talk about that when it, in, in chapter 1 where it talks about God as a God that is in control of the nations and is also in control of uh, nature as well. So he's overall sovereign. You know, a lot of times, you know, the pagans would have gods that, you know, they'd have the god of fertility or they'd have the god of the crops or they'd have the god of, you know, whatever, you know, defeating your enemy or something like that. And they had all these different gods for different things. And, you know, one of the points that the Nahum is making, and, and we all obviously all know, is that God is the God of everything. He is, he is God. Okay, so that's really um, kind of my it for the, uh, for the overview. So, uh, so now let's get into really the meat of what I want us to study today, which is the so what. You know, wh- why do we care? You know, why, why would... Uh, why would we spend any time with, uh, with Nahum? And I basically divided this into uh, the three areas. The first is, um, like in all of Scripture, this helps us know the Lord our God. Okay, so uh, we learn about God's character, and we learn about God's character a little different here. We, le- we learn about him being vengeant, right? I mean, he, he, he's an avenger. So uh, that's, uh, you know, you, you read about that, and we'll talk about that a little later as well. In Romans chapter 12, where um, the Bible says, uh, you know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, right? And there's a couple other places in Scripture where that's said as well. So, so we're going to talk about that. That's a so what. That, that makes a difference, right? The second so what is about justice. And uh, we'll, we'll save that uh, for a couple of minutes. And then uh, the third one is going to be the gospel. I mean, we are talking about this series as the gospel according to the minor prophets, uh, so obviously we would expect to see the gospel in Nahum, and, and we're not disappointed, we do. So uh, anyway, with that said, um, what I'd like to do first is dig into uh, the character of God. And if you would with me, uh, turn in your Bibles to Nahum, and uh, I'm actually going to read uh, all of chapter 1 for us. And uh, hopefully you guys, you can listen along, and uh, if you... Uh, have your Bible there, you can read along with me as well. So chapter 1, an oracle concerning Nineveh, the book, uh, the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Abash and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and his rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries, 
and will pursue his enemies into darkness. What do you plot against the Lord? He will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise up a second time, for they are like entangled thorns, like drunkards as they drink. They are consumed like stubble fully dried. From you came one who plotted against evil against the Lord, a worthless counselor. Thus says the Lord, though they are uh, at full strength and many, they will be cut down and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you more, no more. And you, I will break his, and now I will break his yoke off from you and will burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given commandment about you. No more shall your name be uh, perpetuated from the house of your gods. I will cut off the carved image and the metal image. I will make your grave, uh, for you are vile. Behold, upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. O keep your feast, O Judah, fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. Okay, so uh, I wanted to go ahead and read that in its entirety just so you would get the idea of the imagery and uh, kind of the poetic style that he uses. And uh, I, I think it's very powerful. Obviously, uh, you know, it makes good sense, and we can talk about it. But you can see um, you know, how some of the things that we talked about in the lead-up uh, you know, came out of that. So the first one is really the description of God's character that's found in the first couple of verses. So uh, look back at uh, verse 2 and the first part of verse 3, and you basically see where it's talking about that God is a jealous and avenging God. Now, later on, it talks about the fact that God's loving and he's our stronghold and, you know, some of the, you know, nice things we like to hear about God. But uh, this is the one where we really have to think about, you know, God's character as he is one who administers justice. And the Bible talks about that a lot, but we don't see the Bible talk a lot about the, the fire, hell, and damnation. So this is a little bit like when we read in, in Revelations and, uh, you know, everything's getting kind of, you know, burned up and spit out and, you know, and there was a number of commentators that actually took um, this chapter and compared it to uh, Revelations 19 uh, where there's kind of the, the final destruction, right, of, the, of the, uh, the old or the current earth, I guess, before the new earth and the new heavens come in. But uh, anyway, so it just really talks about, you know, that God is going to bring justice to this land. And, you know, it reminded me of a, a bunch of different, you know, passages. But if you think about just in Romans, we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And except for God's grace, you know, we're all going there, right? That, that, that you know, venge, vengeful God, right, who's going to avenge, um, you know, what, people have done against him uh, is uh, coming after us if we don't seek refuge in him. Um, but then it talks a little bit about uh, the next couple of the second part of, of three and through five. It just talks about his sovereign power over nature, his sovereign power over his creation. And I don't know that we need to say a whole lot about that, except that, uh, you know, we just need to be reminded of that. Um, a lot of times, you know, we're confronted in our daily lives uh, the fact that, uh, you know, it's all just happenstance and, you know, uh, uh, you know and, and again, I don't want to get into anything political discussion here, but, you know, um, 
people say that man's doing this or man's doing that, but you know, we need to be reminded that God's in control. And we are called to be good stewards, so don't get me wrong there. But um, at the same time, you know, things just don't happen, right? God, God is in control of nature. Uh, the next one there is, is, is God's judgment and just basically says, you know, who, who can stand before him, right? And again, you've, you've heard those words and you've heard that in Scripture uh, many times. It's going back again to uh, God as an avenger. His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are broken to pieces by him. So he's, he's really crushing everything. But then in verse 7, uh, he is our stronghold. We do have the opportunity uh, to, find, to find hope in him. It says, the Lord is good. He is the stronghold in day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. So this is where um, you start to see um, the promise of salvation, right? Uh, it doesn't say anything about that we did anything, right? We have to remember that this is, this is God's grace. But it does say that, that we know him, right? That we seek for him. We seek his stronghold. And then, and then it goes back uh, into the, the discussion around, um, you know, the, uh, the Lord is a judge and avenger. So verses, uh, you know, 8 through 14 there, it goes into the thing about, you know, the drunkards and, you know, they'll break the yoke and burst the bonds apart. And it's just basically talking about, you know, busting up the bad guys, so to speak. And then at the very end uh, in verse 15, it, it goes back about the good news. And it talks about the fact that, through this vengeance, peace is going to be made. Again, kind of go back to Revelation and think about the fact that, uh, you know, in the end, when God reclaims this world and uh, things pass through uh, the fire and he separates, you know, the sheep and the goats, et cetera, et cetera, you think uh, in Revelation, you can think about this as well. And it's basically our promise that those that are taking refuge in our Lord are going to be safe, basically, you know, so think about that a little bit. So this is, you know, just a, a real quick, as we have to when we go through a book like this, a real quick uh, view of uh, chapter one, and I, I think a really big so what of this, of this book is really, you know, talking about and reminding us of, of God's character. Now, the next two chapters talk about uh, judgment, um, you know, the basically talking about the judgment of Nineveh and then the execution of that judgment. Again, in very graphic uh, detail, not, not in, a, in a bad way, but just the imagery, it, you know, again, um, not, it, it's more explicit than Revelations. It's not quite so, uh, um, uh, what was I going to say, uh, quite so hard to understand. You can, you know, you see, the, see him talking about the chariots, see him talking about the warriors, see him about, talking about breaking down the walls and things like that. So it's pretty... Uh, pretty straightforward. But the point that I wanted to make out of this, and this is where I wanted us to spend a little bit of time, is the second so what that I have here is justice and judgment belong to the Lord our God. And just a couple minutes ago I said, you know, we, and again, myself included, are always, you know, quick to judge. Uh, we want judgment to be passed on somebody that we, we think has done bad. Uh, even before we hear the rest of the story and things like that. And, and then even broader, you know, as a people right now, uh, as a nation, uh, we're obsessed with justice, right? We, 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 we put all kinds of adjectives on justice. We talk about social justice or economic justice or environmental justice or things like that. Uh, but this book tells us uh, not 
that we are supposed to go out and execute justice. This book tells us that we are to wait on the Lord and justice is the Lord's. Um, Again, we always have to be careful. We can't swing too far one way or the other. That doesn't mean, as in this book, that God doesn't use people to execute his justice or his judgment, right? As, as you saw, again, we did, we're not going to read chapters 2 and 3, but as you saw on the YouTube, it was the Babylonians that came in and conquered you know, Syria, and they executed you know, their judgment uh, on that nation for the sins that that nation had, had committed. So that doesn't mean that, that God doesn't use people who are imperfect to execute his judgment. Um, you know, lots of places in the Bible it talks about, you know, the state, you know, the, the sword of the state and things like that. But um, I think where I would like for us to go this morning, and uh, we're going to flip over to uh, the Romans passage here in a moment, but where I want you to think about it this morning is, where I want you to go in your head, is just to think about where, where do we need to be as individuals, okay? Um, and, you know, are, are we sometimes too quick to judge, uh, regardless of, of what view we might have on a particular situation, right, that's in the news or that we saw happen or maybe even happened to us personally, right, versus allowing, you know, I always hate to say it this way, but allowing the wills of justice to operate, right? There, there is some wisdom in the systems that we have set up, even though they're imperfect. Um, there's a lot of wisdom, as the Bible talks about, you know, waiting on the Lord that, uh, you know, ultimately everybody who has sinned, uh, you know, will get their just deserves. Fortunately, because God is slow to anger, he does allow for repentance. He does allow people to come into his strongholds. Otherwise, you know, if God was quick to judge, we'd all be burned up, you know, in a flash already, right? So anyway, so the, uh, the slow to anger piece, I, I don't know that we need to dig into each of those passages. You heard me read it in, uh, in Nahum uh, verse 3. Uh, chapter 1, uh, the same language is repeated in Exodus uh, when uh, Moses is getting the Ten Commandments from God. Uh, and then you also see it in Jonah, uh, which, you know, and, and lots of other places in the Bible too, but you also see it in Jonah there where, you know, he's actually talking to, to Nineveh, who's in the story today. But what I would like you to do is turn with me to Romans chapter 12, because how are we as individuals to live? Uh, which is where I want to go with this. So Romans chapter 12, let me click over there. And I'm going to read that passage to you. Uh, 14 through 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, 
but overcome evil with good. And I, I wanted just to, to end this little uh, discussion on justice before we go to our last so what uh, by, uh, by just saying that I think if we all think about that and read through that and put that into practice, um, you know, obviously we would be a lot happier probably ourselves, but uh, if we could do that as a, as a community, uh, you know, we're going to be a lot better as a nation. Uh, so anyway, uh, enough said there. Let me uh, move to our last so what. Our last so what is the gospel, the big so what. <laughs> so anyway, um, so uh, obviously the gospel is presented in Nahum as it is throughout the whole Bible. And uh, I-, I talked about this when we read it, but if we go back and, and look, basically we have a choice, right? We have a choice, uh, and uh, this basically here between uh, Nineveh and Judah where Judah, at this point in time, again, imperfect. They weren't doing exactly what they were supposed to, as we are going to see in some of the other prophets. Um, but, uh, but they were trying to seek after the Lord, and they, they were seeking to take refuge in him. Nineveh, on the other side, was completely evil, doing all kinds of bad things. And they had repented, but a new couple of generations had come forward, and they had forgotten, and all had started to fall apart. So, uh, so anyway, so that's, that's a, uh, obviously the choice that we have. Um, we know, uh, obviously, through revelations, because we have the, the whole scripture before us, but uh, a day of trouble is coming uh, for those who do not take refuge in the Lord. And Christ himself spoke about this in uh, Luke chapter 11. Again, ties into our story here a little bit. So if you want to uh, turn with me this last last bit here at Luke chapter 11, and I'll read verses uh, uh, 29 uh, through 32. It says, when the crowds uh, were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so the Son of Man will be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, Something greater than Jonah is here. So obviously, it's talking about uh, you know Christ. Obviously, is our redeemer. But uh, again, it's foretold in Nineveh, just like it was foretold in Jonah, just like it's foretold through all scriptures. Um, and uh, obviously, this is the example where Christ's own words are being quoted here. But the the thing that I'd like to end with is just that last point there, and I'll just read that: the Lord is good, right? As we as we read from our scripture this morning a stronghold in the day of trouble, so it's somebody that we can take refuge in. Uh, and then, as, as, Nineveh, as Nahum said, um, he knows those who take refuge in him. And just think about, as we read multiple times in the Old Testament, multiple times in the New Testament, where uh, God knows his own, right? And the Bible says that those that God knows, you know, he cares for, and we know that he's going to perfect and we cannot be picked out of his hand. So that's the, that's the good news of today uh, coming out of Nineveh, even though it's, a, it's kind of a hard story, right, for somebody to hear that's, that's under judgment. 
but it is a great story for somebody to hear who, even though they're sinful and guilty, uh, take refuge in the Lord, and, and we're made right through our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So, um, you know, the last thing is, is we must take refuge, right? And uh, that's really the whole point of Nahum. So uh, I ended just on time. <laughs> so if there's any quick questions or anything like that, uh, otherwise uh, I'll close in prayer and, and we'll be done. Any, any, anything? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's an interesting one. I'll tell you how I've always taken that, and uh, and this just might be a little bit about my character, so maybe it's good or bad. But I always like, you know, it's always like it's kind of like bless their little souls. <laughs> you know, I've always taken it, that southern that southern thing. It's like it's like I'm gonna give them a drink because I'm heaping coals on their head. <laughs> so I've always kind of thought it that way. I've always thought it is. It, I don't want to make it funny in the scripture, but I've always thought it as kind of an interesting way of saying, bless their little souls. <laughs> you know, so, anyway, yeah, yeah. Now, that is, that is a good one. I, I, I always smile when I read that because it's kind of like, you're, you're doing all these nice things, but you're kind of heaping. Yeah. We're supposed to do it with a good heart, though, so that's where my theology is falling apart there. So anyway, let me close this in prayer. Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we've had to come and, and study the uh, book of Nahum with you this morning. I, I just pray that uh, as we go out, Lord, that, uh, that we in here uh, know uh, that you are our Savior, that we can take refuge in you. And if there is anyone in here, Lord, that has not made that decision to take refuge with you um, this morning, that they would be touched and, and they would uh, decide to take refuge in you. We ask this in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, thank you.